I have like six or seven different theories. And all, all, all the facts that we get is that he is a wannabe struggling writer, an amateur sleuth, and a serial masturbator. we ever use that soundbite <laughs> we won't no worries <laughs> that intro will be replaced but nothing from here on in will be replaced or cut or altered this is just the naked us not making any mistakes today yeah and i like the the naked main hero of today's film who most definitely does keep making mistakes that could be or does he or who does? Hmm. Is Ladies. it even a movie? Who knows? It's a matter of perspective. Maybe it's an audiobook. Nobody knows what your problem really is. Welcome to the Flick Lab. My co-host is Henrik And we either study or studied media. We're doing good. Thank you for asking. Hope you too. In this podcast, we analyze international cinema. And today it's Burning from 2018, a Korean film directed by Lee Chang Dong. Yeah, not to be confused with The Burning, which is an 80s American slasher horror film. That's right. This film, just to get to the point right off the bat, this is based on The Elephant Vanishes, short story from Murakami, Hideo Murakami from Japan, and it's one of these... 17 short stories <clears throat> that is related to the film of tonight. It's called Barn Burning, which became the film Burning. Also, it's said that this film merges elements of William Faulkner's 1939 short story of the same name. Any... Thematically, yeah. An another Western source of influence that is pretty open and that the film also admits to is... Fitzgerald's Great Gatsby. And in the film, the so-called antagonist is called the Great Gatsby. Burning 2018, it has been nominated. Um, has not been nominated, but it was uh, the first Korean film ever to make the nine-film shortlist of Oscars in 2018. Next year, of course, Parasite won. Burning has received many awards, has been on many top 10 lists of critics of 2018, and it has been regarded by some critics as even the best film of, uh, or one of the best films of the 21st century, and was voted as the best Korean film ever on Korean screen. Yeah, I can side with the critics to the length that it's a film of a 21st century. All right, I see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> director is is uh, Yi Chang Dong, uh, has been responsible for eight feature-length films: Green Fish, ninety-seven Peppermint, two thousand Oasis, two thousand two Secret Sunshine, two thousand seven Poetry, twenty ten, and finally Bonding, twenty eighteen. Something that re repeats in his films is that he likes to criticize society 
or makes uh, uh, into discussion points some of these uh, kind of uh, elements in society that one can be critical of. Often elements of melodrama can be found, and he often brings up, well, not only societal issues, but uh, internal family issues, illnesses and their effects, as well as disabilities. Henrik, have you seen any other films from him? I have seen poetry. I, on my end, I haven't checked out his filmography outside of Berlin. Again, when it comes to those societal themes, <coughs> when it comes to family themes, we both have checked out other Korean movies tackling with the same questions, especially in our episode where, episode where we covered the, the Wailing and Low Sea and Chaser all in all, all three movies in one. Well, that's because all Korean films could be argued have something about societal issues or class. It's almost like the, the entire country, or at least, it's, at least its artists are stuck in precisely in like four questions. Societal, family, something of a hereditary, and then basically Korea versus the rest of the world, or Korea when looked upon against, give, insert here, a nation X. Maybe a North Korea, maybe America, maybe Japan, maybe China. Sometimes one movie tackle is like, tackles more than one. One country in this mirror perspective. In the cast, we have three main leads. We have Yuain playing Jongsu. We have Suta Bun or like rather like Steven, uh, Yon playing Ben, and then we have Chon uh, Chong So playing Hemi. The film has a lot of themes related to fire. We have Boyle as the cat's name. We have arsony. We have flame in your heart. We have love. We have burning of clothes. And we have people disappearing as in a quote puff of smoke. What do you make of that? So much fire. Well, the question is exactly how much we do have a fire. We don't necessarily have the cat and we necessarily don't have the arson. Right. We do have clothes. That much is 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 true. And we do have a, a vanishing act. But that's about as much much that is is like confirmed to happen from, from those four themes. And it's kinda like important to to take notice of that because this film really is up to your ear about the matter of perspective and the importance of perspective that one person has and especially the lack of perspective it's all about ambiguity and how and you can kind of read whatever you want into it at the dream of jong su there is also fire it seems that as a kid he is watching a fire of one of those greenhouses. That's what it seems to be. But yes, very ambiguous. Yeah, or then it's just a, a mix-up well, between his his current state, which is that he suspects that Ben has been burned in greenhouses, and, well, the alluded past experience from his childhood when he was ordered by his father to burn, her, burn his mom's clothes. And the film itself reads like a creepy bonfire story really i can easily imagine this being told around the bonfire maybe not for two and two hours and 30 minutes 
but because of the ambiguity, it kind of gives you shivers. Well, it, it does and it does not. And that's basically, that's that's like one, one of the main coming to points with, with the movies that they are like with the story altogether you have two you have two possible plot lines. A Ben is a murderer, a possible serial killer, or B Ben is not a murderer. And kind of the perspective you take into the proceedings in the film, like which of the t- these two readings you side with, it kind of it kind of builds the film for you and, and forms like what type of experience the movie is going to be. If you take the, the road A, a murder has happened and we are dealing with a possible serial killer. In that case, yeah, it becomes this this extremely subtle, tense serial killer mystery film where you kind of get this creepy atmosphere and you are watching this realistic de- depiction of somebody like an everyday person who is who tries to be on a trail of a serial killer, a possible serial killer, but at at least a murderer. But if your reading is is the road B, Ben is not a murderer. In that case, the basically the whole film just becomes semi tragic comedy where you follow just one goofball as he makes basically all the wrong decisions and all the wrong deductions, and nothing really goes anywhere. Well, let's get to those you know, theories. Well, I have like almost like six or seven different theories that we could try on as a little bit of a fiery clothing piece for the film. Um, well, like you said, there is that, that Ben could simply be the killer, and that's kind of the crux. But don't you find it equally as interesting, or even more interesting, and more satisfying if this is indeed a creative writer whose mind goes cuckoo and he reads a lot of nuances, circumstantial evidence into things where we where he really shouldn't. I find it extremely possible, not necessarily as interesting as the Ben is a is a possible serial killer line. But yeah, I do agree with you that there is a extremely extremely large possibility that when it comes to the, the possible murder, that that never happened. <clears throat> and our main character just like makes all the wrong readings and makes all the, all the wrong decisions. Essentially, it is a major goofball throughout the movie. There is also the possibility that nothing in this film is real, at least at the, at the end point. Like, there is no murder and, and the ending is not real. It just all, the ending would just happen in our main character's head as he sits down and starts to write his his magnum opus, his novel. And the, the, the reality of film would cut into that act and everything mm-hmm. else we see after that shot would just be like, what happens in the story would be our main character's fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's start with the one that has the most circumstantial evidence. Ben is the killer. Or even, is Ben gay? Is Ben straight? What is going on? Who is he loving? Who is Who does he care about? Does he care about anyone? Well, he has a lot of woman friends, let's say, uh, at the least. And might even throw a wild card here that he might love Changsu to a degree. 
that is a little wild, but I'm giving like all the possible angles that came into my mind watching this film. And because of his love towards Jongsu, this could be like an elongated plot for him to allure Jongsu into his sphere of influence even deeper, and he has killed Hemi. Did that go really cuckoo? I also picked up on, on the possible note that Ben is gay, but when it comes to Ben having some feelings towards Yongshu, well, I, I didn't get that reading. To me, Ben mostly appeared to be, like, casually interested in Hemi and Jongsu at one point of the story, and, like, kind of as, as a novelty act. Like, let, let me slum with the poor for a moment. And after the slumming has been done, then Ben quickly just drops interest in, in Yongshu and Hemi. And he's like, okay, yeah, well, done that now, bored once again. Can can all, all, the, all these poor people just get out of my sphere of influence, or at least my, this, or at least from the sphere of my view, please. And he once again kind of hollers up with, with his rich pal, uh, buddies. In the parking lot, there is this, again, repeating quote that repeated at the countryside home that the hum that rocks the core of your soul and Ben touches the chest of Jong Su, which I could have multiple interpretations for, or there could also be no interpretation really. It could be affection. It could be an invitation for some murderous partnership, who knows, or most likely just messing around. Then uh, Ben says that he felt jealous for the first time when Jongsu told he loves Hemi, which was of course followed by this rather maniacal laughter. Um, so this could be a sign of affection towards Jongsu. It could be also a, a sign towards Ben's affection towards Hemi. Who knows? Yeah. I really don't see why why anybody would see anything in in Chong Shu like the dude looks like a potato and and <coughs> all, all all the facts that we get from about Chong Shu is that he is a wannabe struggling writer, an amateur sleuth, and a serial masturbator. <laughs> okay, so and then there is this uh, allusion to ugly greenhouse, which is a hobby of Ben's that could be a metaphor for ugly people and most likely to a certain degree is or is intended to be viewed as possibly such. So maybe like a description of poor people such as Hemi, which he might have killed. Yeah, and especially the, like allusion to, especially alluding to the, the whole concept that there are things that fill a purpose, and then there are, like, useless things, like abandoned greenhouse that no longer fits any purpose, and from there, like, the, the whole co idea that we have a societal construct where you have people who fit some purpose, and then you have useless people like the poor. What do you read into the quote, when things are too close, you might miss it? Uh, would it be an actual, literal greenhouse that... Jongsu missed on his little checks, or it could be Hemi who is too close and has been quote-unquote burned. Yeah, yeah, or it could be absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Pretty much like everything that Penn says throughout the film. Mm -hmm. 
before the film was finished in 2016, um, the director commented on, on the film and what it would mean. And he said that it is a story about young people in today's world. When they think of their lives and the world, it must feel like a mystery. The word mystery is the one word that repeats throughout the film repeatedly. Well, it certainly is a mystery. I give you that one. But uh, so many hints into the kind of sociopathic, uh, disturbing qualities of Ben. Ben can't cry. I mean, I think even Henrik, you can cry. <laughs> even though you try to hide your emotions here to the best of your ability, right? <laughs> On the contrary. God damn, we have fought <laughs> over the question of emotions. I, If something, I have been the stout defender of emotions. <laughs> Okay, I don't know where, where that came from, but still, I am on the record of being the <laughs> only fucking guy crying in this podcast, basically. Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you are also on the record of being the guy who said that emotions are useless and stupid, and we should be rid of those pesty little things and rationality above everything else. Uh, yeah, emotions the... are a mistake or a failure, you have said at some point. Yep. Well, they are not entirely useless, but they also are. Let's not go to there. No. <laughs> um, so what about this one in the kitchen? Quote, I make my own offering and then consume it. End quote. Does Ben eat human flesh? Perhaps or then he does not. <laughs> it's... it's uh, the, the point with, when it comes to trying to decipher like the the mystery plot of burning if something in my opinion it's a futile exercise mm -hmm. well we... and, and you know you know kudos to the director it is an artistic choice that that has been done on purpose like also to quote from the director the gaping holes in the chain of events the missing pieces from which we can never know the truth alludes to the mysteries mysterious world we live in now the world in which we can sense that something is wrong but we cannot quite put a finger on what the problem is and much like the director's quote this is also something that like plays out through throughout the movie constantly basically in every single step of the possibility of is is has hemi been murdered or did did she just run away from from her depths and I can like I can appreciate the artistic decision here, and I can appreciate how the whole tone of the movie kind of kind of applies to the to the director's mission statement. But at the same time, does it make an interesting mystery film? Well, no. And does it mean that? In the end of the day, the exercise of trying to, to piece together the, the mystery quotation marks in, in burning. Is is that is it a futile exercise? Yeah, yes, it is. It's kind of pointless. It's it's like we, we can see a hint here of that it means nothing discussion just over and over again. Isn't that the the offered beauty here that you can't really know what is the case? You're given a lot of quote-unquote clues, but you can't put it together. It is, but at the same time, is there really a point in discussing that then? Or trying to decipher it? 
or finding an answer to, to the whole question. Is there a mystery? Because basically the whole discussion will just be a rinse and repeat process of one point. I saw a possible hint here and then the uh, continuation line, but it might not mean anything. Mm-hmm. But that's that's what makes it quite interesting for me. And it's not giving only hints to one theory, it's giving a, a lot of hints to several directions. It might make it an interesting viewing experience to the audience, but it makes it pointless to try to actually like ask the question seriously. Did the murder happen? Mm. Well, yeah. Well, we don't know. I, I'm, and yeah, I just have collected a lot of this circumstantial evidence that the film keeps pushing at my face and we can try to decipher it. It can be a full surround fine but i think it's kind of interesting just to see what the characters have been saying here and see what it might be see what it might not be uh, certainly like if you really want we can give it a shot but as a cautionary spoiler possible spoiler to our listeners i already i, I i'm i'm taking my five bucks and i'm putting it in the pay, in the in the betting basket of it's going to be a fool's errand well to the degree that if you're looking for some kind of answers, which I'm not, no, <clears throat> there's not going to be any resolution by the end of this evening, I'm sure. Okay, I, I take my five bucks and I call it my ten buck winnings. <laughs> well, but um, so, more of these fire references. Hemi just disappeared like a puff of smoke and then smiles, rather in an indifferent way. Doesn't seem to be really concerned of what happened to her. Try to contact her, or so he claims, Ben. But Ben also has no reason to be concerned over Hemi. Hemi what? essentially is, is nothing to Ben. She's a woman that Ben met during the two months stint that they both had in Africa, while they were watching the Bushman culture and everything else. Mm-hmm. So uh, at best, Hemi was something like a like a casual acquaintance that they. That was formed during their trip to Africa. And that's all. Like, there really is, like, at, at no point, there, there is no past, there is no connection between Hemi and Ben, which would give Ben the reason to be super concerned about what happened to Hemi. It's like a, very much like a, like a person. You, you meet somebody now and maybe you work on some project or something like that for X amount of time and then you two just go in your different ways. Right. We all most likely had have had that experience, and that uh, winning watch that is found in the toilet of Ben. Well, as we know, this is one of those most likely pretty cheap digital watches that you get from uh, these kind of lotteries, as we established in the beginning of the film. So it could be just one of several out there that people have been winning, and it just happens to be there. It yeah, could... or it might be something that Hemi has just, you know, forgotten to Ben's apartment at some point. Perhaps even when she's been helping Ben with with the cooking in in that one scene. Because the watch, as the film points out, it's very typical. They are basically everywhere because it's a cheap, almost like a garbage watch. Yeah, and regarding the cat supposedly reacting to his or her name, Boyle. Well, it's not really clear if he or she is reacting to anything. No, because animals also have the curious habit to react to 
any given random thing. But could be the, could this be the most far-fetched idea of the night? Is Ben on a revenge mission to mess with Chung Su's head because of the complicated relationship in the village with Chung Su's father? Would there be any motivation to mess with Chung Su, his child, Chung Su, Su's father's? <laughs> well, the, the the messing with the Chung Su because he is the child of that maniacal father who gets pissed off at and angry at everybody. Only in an absolutely far-reaching symbolism towards the Faulkner story, Barnberg. Uh, I, yeah, I think that the whole father, angry father thing, just further kind of exacerbates or even makes it more obvious this this perhaps this poverty or the circumstances from which the family has emerged. And that's the only function of these court hearings and and all that. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. What I like. Like, there's another, like, as, as we already men- mentioned, two Western stories are, like, alluded to in, in the burning. The first one is, is Kate Gatsby. The second one is barn burning from from William Faulkner and barn burning shares the, the name with the, the original short story that burning is based on and Faulkner is some, someone who as a writer is being name dropped is name dropped in in burning so the connection really exists there and William Faulkner's barn burning is a story of a of a poor family. It starts from a courtroom where a child is preparing to give a testimony in a case where his father is is on trial. I don't remember what incident was it a barn burn case or what what it was. But anyways, that's where we start off, and from there it that's the story continues. It follows the family. It becomes extremely clear that much like John Sung's father in in Burning, the main character's father in Barn Burning is a person who has this kind of undescribed grudge against those who are higher than him in the social ladder. Mm-hmm. And in in a short story. The, the main character's dad's uh, kind of scornful attitude, it manifests throughout extremely petty and extremely unnecessary acts of aggressions towards those who he despises. Essentially, the rich. And things escalate to a point where our main character's dad comes into contact with the next landowner was it Mr. Spain or what was his name? And there is a there's there's a small schism between the two, which is caused by the main character's dad. And the final like grandiose idea that the daddy o here comes up with is the idea that he's going to burn the landowner's bar. Hence the title Barn Burning. The main character at the final at the last minute tries to reach the, the landowner to warn to warn him about his, his dad's ideas, that is the plot that the dad has. And then the story kinda ends with this hinted possibility that 
the landowner has shot main character's dad as an act of self-defense or to defend his barn. And that's where it's the story ends. And the may and the connection here uh, to to the film burning is is the dad and this kind of self-harming scorn that the dads of the stories have towards somebody in the society. Throughout the film, the, the main character's dad is on trial for an aggravated assault, was it against police officer? Yeah, go- government and, officials in the town. Yeah, government officials. And the dad has a lawyer friend who makes two strong points. The first one is that the dad, main character, Chong Sung's dad, is a stubborn as all hell. He could get a more lenient sentencing from the judge if he would just, you know, ap- just apologize, just do that much. The dad refuses because headstrong, because headstrong attitudes. And the second point is is, is kind of a explaining something from the past. It turns out that the lawyer friend has given the dad the advice that, you know, buy property from, from the, the area of Gundam. And the dad has, once again, in the past, the dad has refused to do this because of some type of a, I don't know, commitment to, the, to an idea, ideal or something like that. And as a, as a result, what we have in the dad, in the burning, is, is someone who has an axe to grind with the society and with his place in the societal hierarchy, and who also is somewhat prone to violence. And this is something that we can kind of see repeating in Jong Su, who also manifests these ideas that he has a place in society, he is not happy with his place in society. He does see that he is above some members of the society, or at least some jobs, as as comes through in the moment when Zhang Su refuses to take the job in, in the factory and just, you know, walks out of the job line. And then we have the possibility of genetically inherited violent attributes that would, in the end, manifest at the very ending of the film. When we take into account the director's real-life history, that his family, especially his father, if I recall, and the director himself are quite left-leaning indeed. And the director has been uh, politically active, has butted heads with the government, and was banned from running in the elections for several years. And his films also tackle, I would say, kind of left-leaning themes of People in society, the, the kind of uh, people suffering the most in poverty and uh, medical situations, Alzheimer's, disabilities, all that. So you could you could take that into play. And just thinking thinking about the director's background in this sense and uh, all the all the political, um, because also when he. He has also been butting heads with one uh, film festival, and that happened to be right-leaning, and he was banned from there because, yeah, and his films were not permitted to be running in any kind of uh, nominations. 
I don't know if that, that is still the case, but uh, that happened because of some clashes, because he didn't agree with the, the politics of that newspaper that was in the background of uh, that event. So all in all, if you want to read all of that, well, not so circumstantial evidence, I suppose, into burning, then burning might be very much saying something like, yes, if you're kind of the underdog, if you are poor, then you might suffer from viewing the, the world in a, through a prism. Well, Zhong Su does frequently look through the window, kind of like trying to escape into some other reality, let's say. Whereas I found that Ben is, he seems to be always looking at mirrors, not through windows, if you want to read something into that. But anyway, that, that Zhong Su would be kind of the underdog who loses it, loses the plot, and then the result is violence. It could be also like jealousy. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing with the ambiguity, because in, in Burning, in my opinion, the whole ambiguity, ambiguous nature of the story and the fact that there are no answers here for the main question of the possible mystery plot. It, has a murder really happened? It Look, if, if we, we would want to see Burning as some type of a strong political film, I do think that the ambiguity here harms that purpose. Because in uh, reading A, Ben is a murderer. In, in there we can see some, some radical left-leaning political viewpoints and, and statements being made. The more, pre to be more precise, the statement that the rich will eat the poor. And in, in that reading, you can take like, like Ben's all, or, or the quotations from Ben, how I enjoy making food because I, I can make something and then consume it as, a, as an act of cannibalism. And, you know, a literal case of, of a rich man eating the poor woman. But since the film insists on being so goddamn ambitious, ambiguous here, it also means that you can't be certain if, if the murder has really happened. And because of that, there really is no clear statement about the rich eating the poor. Or it's like the poor eating the rich, kind of like the Aerosmith song, Eat the Rich, all happening here. From where we could go to the theory of Chung Su is deluded. As we stated out already, the creative, creative writer who still hasn't figured out what to write and the kind of the story is writing itself in front of him. There's this lawyer friend <clears throat> after the, one of those trials that says, quote, aren't all protagonists nuts, end quote. That could give you some kind of a hint. Hemi might as well be fine. Um, there is the pressure of triangular relationship and delusion related to, quote, from Hemi, like, quote, the trick is, instead of thinking there is a tangerine here, you need to forget that there isn't one. End quote. Yeah, which makes a strong case, at least if you want to read it the way, that what Hemi really is saying is that once you get an idea into your head, once you have uh, like reach a, reached a one viewpoint, it's extremely, or you have become co convinced that this viewpoint is, is true, it's 
damn hard, if not almost impossible, to actually then abandon that viewpoint. Much like in the film, Chong Sung becomes, gets the viewpoint. He becomes convinced that Hemi has been murdered by Ben. And then throughout the film, after that, Chong Sung never actually manages to get rid of that viewpoint. Everything that happens to Chong Sung is gets perceived by him as an evidence that yes, Ben is a killer, which leads into the ending of the film. But much like the tangerine that that Hemi eats in during her pantomime presentation, it might not be real. It's just a viewpoint that Jung is stuck in Jung Sung's head, and he that he and is something that he just can't get rid of. To add more fire to this argument is Jung Su's notion that. While he's reading William Faulkner, it's like reading my own story, he says. And and this once again kind of a, like again brings up the the whole point, or at at least what I took to be the point of of Faulkner's story, which is kind of the main character's incapability to deal with the or to prevent the aggressions that happened around and to him. Like in in Bart Murning, it's it's the dad and it's it's the parental uh, aggression from the dad. In Burning, we start with the parental aggressions from the dad, which partly lead into our main character Chong Sung's situation throughout the film, and at the end culminates in the act of aggression on Chong Sung's part. Yeah, this next that I have here might not really be. Like a, well, it's one part of reading in it. The whole class in inequality and all the points that you see in the film regarding that. Well, yeah, as in Parasite and in almost all Korea movies ever, there is the class in inequality. Um, kind of the poor cannot be allowed to be happy. They are in this. What we have discussed before, or maybe we should do an episode on this one day. Structural violence. The rich make the poor possible gold diggers, in Hemi's case, perhaps, perhaps not. I wish we could have like South Korean here to tell us in what kind of intonation, what kind of tone, or is it completely unreadable, as I would think. How is the word oppa used in this film? Because the word oppa is interesting. It's not translated, because you can't really translate it in the subtitles, but... So this is a word that means basically older brother, but it can also mean something that you say to an older older male friend or male lover or somebody that you're attracted to. You want to tell them that you're attracted to them. You might call them oppa, but it's very much to how you say that word. If you go like oppa, then yeah, we get the hint. But it's more neutral... But it's used a lot during these encounters with Oppa. <laughs> so, did you feel anything regarding that? That that there's maybe like a a loving relationship starting to blossom between Ben and Hemi? Uh, not really. No. If so, if something there is a possibility for for a relationship between Hemi and Jong Sung, but like in in its core, that the whole that the whole dynamic, Ben, Hemi, Jung Sung, it's it's a triangular relationship drama situation. 
you have a girl, in this case Hemi, who then has a possibility of two lovers. Either the childhood friend Jung Sung, to which she's at least partly attracted to, at least enough to, you know, have a casual one-night fling, and then you have Ben, who she also might be attracted to, but once again, nothing is really truly confirmed. And a large part that kind of makes certain that nothing is confirmed is the character of Hemi, who is being shown to be somewhat liberated, somewhat free-spirited young woman. So, because of this, you know, the casual act of sex does not necessarily mean love or any great deal of affection here in, in the case of burning. What did you think about that showing tits twice during the film? Was that what whores do, as suggested by Jung Su? I, what I really saw was kind of like a liberal woman who had been in Africa and really liked the Bushmen and their traditions and was just having a little bit of fun under the influence and that's all. Yeah, kind of woman showing her tits it's not it's nothing really right. To today's world. Well like the, the whole notion of, of Chung Sung that that uh, basically Hemi Hemi showing her tits too easily and that's that makes her a whore. It's more of a like it, it gives a negative statement about Jung Sung and paints him paints him out to be a huge asshole. Which is also something that is being viewed by the serial masturbator aspect of Jung Sung's character. Yeah, what's what's up with that? There's a lot of masturbation here. Well, what? what's up with that basically is you know, a young man who has sexual urges and can't really like Write a book. Deal deal with those urges in a in a positive, healthy, not as a ma- making you out to be a huge creep kind of way. But it's so natural, Henrik. Everybody does does the hand thingy. <sighs> so <laughs> let me be absolutely clear here. <laughs> it's it's absolutely ma- natural that you masturbate. <laughs> it's not natural. That you go into your female friend's, friend quotation marks, apartment, and masturbate all over her goddamn walls. <laughs> A is natural, and there's nothing wrong with that. B, well, holy fuck, man, get yourself looked, up, looked after. Yeah, get yourself together. Yeah. Acting is something that I would like to jump on for a second. The director is known for not giving really specific instructions for his actors on how to behave on the set or how to get into the character. Rather, he wants his actors to just absorb and get into the character as best as they can without giving them really instructions. Well, different culture, different going-ons and different language, but what did you think about the acting? felt quite natural, naturalistic, which is the director's overall style in his movies. Yeah, the, the acting all, all around, it's, it's really strong here. Uh, perhaps the one who has the easiest time going here would be, I guess, Steven Yeun, mm-hmm. who from the cast is the one who has most experience about being in projects mm-hmm. that has kind of really disappointing endings. <laughs> 
And that's something that Stephen can really count his blessings for appearing in the laws. <laughs> okay, Jong-Soo's mom calls. And Jong-Soo and the mom haven't met in 16 years. Why is she popping up? Hmm. She seems to have trouble with a department store that she possibly owns. This is my reading, but the quotation, at least the subtitles, don't really give it away to me. What is the issue? Is it a debt that he's, she's having? Looks like it. Because Chang Su's reply to the whole monologue is, I'll take care of it. And then she replies, no way you'd have the money. And then completely ignores him, goes back to his her cell phone world. Interesting meeting, and well, it's also there again to knock the main character over the head about the fact that he has no money, he's a low-income person, but then what? A bit of a weird scene. It helps to reiterate the, the basically one point of the film, and this is, once again, like I I already said that the burning really does not feel that aggressive, and that radical left-leaning film, at least when it comes to political statements. No. Because it's basically, the, the whole scene with the mom is, once again, it's a return back to the whole, kind of, in my opinion, under-examined take on the rich eat the poor. And this is due to the fact that in the narrative of of burning, the po- Chung Sung's Poverty, even though it's not Jong Sung's fault, it's something that could have been avoided. Our main character's poverty is due to thanks to his goddamn daddy o and the daddy o's headstopper nature, nature and and the whole idea that the dad has that he has some values and some ideals that he's unwilling to break against. So kind of you have to sell your soul to be rich, not follow your values, however as holy they may be. Well, they're really... I I really don't see, like, any ground won. No. By the dad when it comes to values. When, uh, in the decisions that in the current day has kept the family poor. And this is something that comes into major light. Like this is this is the reason why I previously mentioned the whole Gundam and the advice from from the lo- lawyer friend of the dad. Gundam is a real South Korean area. Mm-hmm. These days it's the it's the living space. It's this it's this wealthy living space of the rich Insult. rich engineers, yeah. rich yuppies the rich youthful generation. It's extremely expensive area to live in. The, the, uh, I've understood that the houses in, in Gundam, like they, they reach a really high price. It's also a place where to, to live in Gundam kind of requires you to have this kind of an image that you give about yourself. Like Gundam is rich play, rich people territory. If you live in Gundam, you kind of have to, to look rich, you have to act rich. Which has led into a problem that some people in Gundam live in extremely heavy debt. Because they have to keep up the public images, but they don't have like the, the natural capital to do that. So they take on debt. This is something that, well, was was basically meant to be satirized in 
in the song Gundam style. But what goes like happened before this was that Gundam really wasn't that expensive territory or that expensive neighborhood. There was a moment in time when Gundam was nothing more than it was just you know a collection of housing projects. Mm-hmm. It was all these construction sites building the place up. And there was a moment in in history when you could really buy apartment for cheap in Gundam. And a lot of Koreans did this. Like they, they bought cheap apartments from Gundam and then they just waited it out. At some point, Gundam it became more prominent territory, it became more prominent area, and you know, the value of the houses rise. And this is the point that the lawyer friend makes. He had given the the main character's dad the advice, buy property from Gundam, buy it cheap, sit on it for a few years, there are all these housing projects coming up, the rich people will move into the territory in a later date, sell the house back then, and or, or sell the apartment then for a huge profit, and you know, become rich. And the dad has refused to do this. The bloody damn thing, there is nothing to gain really from doing this. It's not like you had to sell your soul. You had to give up your ideals. No, it you know you had to buy property, and you wouldn't have to you know live in a shitty farmhouse with one cow today. Had you do that? Ha- have you done that? But the Dario had refused, and so Chang Sung is now living in poverty. And but that's also the case with with his with his mother, who had in one point has decided to leave Chang Sung's father, you know, and go, you know, and and find herself a new man. Someone who, as it's been alluded to, is is less violent and less aggressive and less less likely to explode. And now that Chang Sung finally sees his mom after 16 years, the mom is appears to be financially more well off than Chang Sung. Then it's been hinted that the mom has accumulated a heavy amount of debt. Mm-hmm. So there is that keeping up the, the images through debt money angle here. But once again, it does reinforce the point that Chang Sung's poverty is a result from his dad's actions. Right. Well, both have made horrible decisions, the parents. And uh, the kid is left in the middle. That's a really nice reading into into a scene that I would not think that would be so much uh, of interest for us tonight. Gangnam also, which is a popular place to party and to meet people from foreign countries in South Korea, if you're into that. One wild card could be that Jong-soo could be the killer of Hemi. But then this would be so wild that then a lot of what we see on screen should be discarded as his delusions, which might be stretching it. Well, you might note that when Jong Su is high or drunk, he might make up a story in his head about the greenhouses, and it might be something that Ben never said, but I think that this is a little bit of a stretch. The most baseless theory, maybe. I think, and basically, the possibility that Ben would be burning greenhouses, it doesn't necessarily have to do anything with what happens to Hemi. That would make burning the greenhouses, which is something that the mm-hmm. film never confirms. So it's very much a possibility that Ben just made the whole thing up, mm-hmm. just to give him give himself a mysterious edge while, while they are casually smoking weed. 
even if if that would be true, like Ben really is burning greenhouses, what that would mean is Ben is arsonist. It wouldn't necessarily mean that Ben is a murderer. Yeah, it could be one of those kind of a pantomime moments of Ben. And there was another quote that could be linked to that. Um, he said, quote, There is no right or wrong. There are no morals to nature. If we have to talk about its morals, there's only simultaneous existence. I'm here and I'm also there. So in probably very abstract terms or in terms of that, he might think of himself as doing something else or being somewhere else while he is actually here, not there. Yeah, and thinking that he's doing something while he's doing nothing. Yeah. Or... Which also kind of con- ties to the whole question, what does Ben actually do for his job? He plays. It's also something that is never actually revealed. Zhang Zhong asks Ben, what do you do for a living? And Ben answers that I can't really explain it. And the best pos- possible depiction is that Ben says that he parties. Parties. Oh, okay. In my subtitles, it says plays. I like to play. Well, it's it's plays or parties. It might also be that I just, you know, remember the line wrong. But but any, anyways, the, the point still stands. Ben never actually gives anything that would describe what he does for a job. Be it parties or be it plays, it's, it's not, not really a job function. It's not a job title. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not like, you know... I design graphical interfaces for stupid office programs, or I work at the local power plant. It's not parting or playing. It, it's it's nothing really in, in in those terms. So there really is, is no even an idea that oh, there's no confirmation that Ben actually does anything in society. Mm-hmm. Ben does not necessarily even have a job. Maybe that he's just a trust, a trust fund kid who lives off from, you know, a trust fund set up by his parents. Or maybe he just, you know, lives from debt. Who knows what he does. Or plays trading games with cryptocurrency and made his wealth based on that as a young guy. Yeah, yeah. It's ab- absolutely as possible as everything else. He may even be, you know, a high-paying paying professional Fortnite gamer. But maybe Hemi is in cahoots with Ben, the Ben the Nairobi comrade, as he's called. And maybe real Hemi is dead or stuck in Nairobi still. There are these mysterious phone calls where nobody's speaking. You just hear noises. On one such phone call, on the cell phone, it could be Hemi. Hemi opening the door of a car. There's Korean noises on the line. Then there's another voice of a closing car door. And something moving, like maybe like a zipper being pulled. And that's it. Very ambiguous. Yeah, or it might just be a cell phone that accidentally makes the connection while being in Hemi's pocket. Precisely. Yeah. But this theory is pretty crazy because of, for example, the crying at the sunset of Nairobi, kind of signifying to the audience that, yes, this was a real experience that she went through and all the Bushman stories. And all the emphasized monetary problems throughout the film by several characters. And finally, this is as possible as anything, I guess, nothing at all suspicious maybe happened and Hemi is perfectly healthy. 
like you said, escaping her death, might be depressed because of what Jongsu has told her, that she is viewed as a whore by him. He immediately tries to rectify this, but is unable to get in touch with her. She says that, quote, if only I could vanish like I never existed, end quote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Ben also says almost the exact same thing. Quote, you can make it disappear as if it never existed, end quote. Supposedly he's talking about greenhouses. I, th- I did some digging to this, probably nothing to it, but Ben is talking about uh, unshil, which means greenhouse. But it also can mean stop or stove. Yeah, and I've also heard that it can also mean plastic houses, as in not really real houses, which you can then kind of mirror into Hemi, who has gone through plastic surgery. And also Mm -hmm. Ben's affection to uh, his female acquaintances using, using makeup. So there would right. also be like plastic people, not real people. And Ben doing that makeup part, that could also somehow explain some of the, the, the woman's items, something to wear on your arm, things like that, that are also in the toilet. Yeah, something that he does for women. Yeah, who knows about these crazy rich people? <laughs> Anything about the Bushmen that we want to read into it? We have talked about Bushmen before in The Gods Must Be Crazy, so welcome back to that thing. But uh, Bushmen, there are two hungers that they talk about. There is the great hunger and little hunger. The little hunger is the actual hunger for food. You want to fill your belly with food. But the great hunger is the greatest hunger of all. It's the hunger for meaning. And this is what... many of the characters are looking for here. Yeah, it's it's the most clearest, it's the strongest kind of symbol that the film has. The, the whole theme of, of big hunger. As that is something that actually does does come true in all the main uh, three main characters. For Jung Sung it's it's a hunger for to becoming writer. Achieving some type of a societal status to to Hemi, it's uh, finding a meaning in life, finding a purpose and and a place. Uh, and for Ben, it's also kind of finding some type of a like purpose or something to do. Given what Peter DeBrucci, um, probably butchering that last name of Variety said, I thought you might see more in this film that you would like um as at least in his perspective he strongly sees that there is this uh, class aspect in his mind very very strongly unspoken but strongly conveyed he says the sense of jealousy and frustration uh, but in order to emphasize that emphasize with that or if you don't emphasize with that the struggle of these characters in this in this class sense then that will greatly impact the level of your uh, viewing enjoyment so somehow the connection just didn't click there well could it be just that it's so ambiguous for you and that just bothers you yeah well in my perspective the class struggle really is not that strong yeah i mean you you mentioned that uh, we already made the episode about parasite Mm. and if if i like put the question out frankly which film do you think 
spoke more about Parasite, which made more, uh, which film may spoke more about class, and which film made stronger statements about class struggle. This one or Parasite? Honestly, I see class as only just one little piece of the puzzle and not integral, like in Parasite. Uh, precisely, and because of that, Parasite is more about about class and class struggle uh, than than Burning, and. I too, when I, when I was de, re, doing my research on on burning, I I came up with these repeated statements about how burning is about about the you know the the differences in class system and the conflict between the rich and poor, etc., etc., etc. And I honestly don't see it as that strongly in in burning. Mm-hmm. And I do say that. The ambiguity of the main storyline is something that does affect this in in a negative way. Like, would it be confirmed that Ben is a killer? Well, then you can certainly say that, yes, this film does have the the whole theme about the predatory rich and the preyed upon poor. And it it has the the whole... And it most definitely has the whole theme about about the rich hiding behind the conventions of of society, society to use that as a as a one tool to hurt the poor. But since Ben is never actually being confirmed to be any be a killer or really to con you know confirmed to be well not even a bad guy really. We can't really make the statement that yeah the film is film is saying this. Yeah the film is portraying the rich as predatory and harmful, and and the film really strongly is about this conflict between the rich and the poor. Yeah, I thought thought it was a strong depiction of how somebody might lose their minds and read too much into something that just isn't there. The whole film just really messing with the lead character's head. And I just kind of love that. Yeah, it, it can be. But once again, that would then require the film to, to make it make it clear that the murder did not happen. Hmm. Okay. Like in order for John Su to be be reading too much into the into everything and being wrong, well that would require that the murder would not have happened. If the murder has happened, well then Chong Sung is not reading too much into nothing and he's actually right in his suspicions and well to a to a degree also in his actions. For me, I don't really have this requirement that it would have to make it clear that somebody is killing somebody or, or not. That's the whole point, to leave it ambiguous. And, hmm. Well, how then can you say that our main character is disturbed and he's reading too much into the wrong things? Well, I guess I can't. That's my main interpretation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that interpretation is correct, but at the same time, what it also means is that you you can't say that Chong Su is is at wrong. You can't say that he's in right. No, I can't say. You, you really can't anything. say that Ben is a harmful asshole. You can't say that that the film showcases to you how the rich pay upon the poor. You can't say that the film is a fight. Of from the the poor fighting in order to preserve them from from the rich, it, it's kind of it can be already or it, it is and it's not. 
it can be about that or it can not be about that. It's it's kind of the, the two coins situation where both are at the same time they are correct and both are at the same time also wrong answer. Do we need the explanation though? Isn't that the strong point of the film? Just it's the strong point guessing. of the film. But once again, where the hell does the argument then come from that this is somehow a strong case about the class divide? Uh, for me, definitely no. Yeah. So once again. I can't side with the critic that you quoted. Mm, mm. And most definitely, I can't say that, yeah, I, I saw in this film this great gra- class struggle and really resonated with me. <laughs> Fair enough. Because it kind of is not there, thanks to the ambiguity. I'm reading some of the reviews for this film. It makes you puzzled. Yeah. Like, it seems like more like, sorry, but sometimes it's like a verbal diarrhea that I just had to bring some meaning to this and this and this when there was none. Precisely, that's also my take with with a lot of the reviews that the film has uh, and a lot of the analysis that the film has received. Like it, it to me, it, it reads more like the opinion and the viewpoint of the reviewer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these reviews, they come from like a professional critics. Like Film critics that you have, not not like like a punk ass hobbyists like you and me who do this on on our free time and and with with our own money while we are doing like like million other things. But they come from people who are being paid to be film critics, and that's very comfy job. Like, obviously, it's not a song and dance. There's a lot of negatives to being a professional film critic, as you and we, you and me also have experienced being hobbyist film critics. But but still, being a film critic, it's it's relatively comfy job. Uh, you watch films from, and then you analyze and you write a review. Apart from the uh, fact that if you're a professional film critic, we will butcher you in the Flick Lab. <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm not saying that it's all song and dance, but it's it's relatively easy. It's relatively nice job to do. At least if you if you like like compare it to being a construction site worker, for example. And a lot of film critics they kind of come from I would say financially well off circles. I I would say middle class, upper middle class. So. The film critics are not the starving and struggling poor. They are actually the ones who are more well off. And when it comes to the readings of of Burning being this this huge like major take on the welfare injustices and and the societal struggle and and rich against the poor, etc., etc. What I actually re- see in those 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 hot takes, those reviews. It's more of this this kind of laser flare, laser flare, middle class, well off, well even white Western white people reading into this meaning into the film and seeing this this huge struggle to play out in Burning because it's something that resonates with them and especially resonates with them because since Burning does not make a grandiose statement. It's not like eat the rich. We have to destroy the middle class. That's not the statement that the film makes. It's also easy for 
for a white, well-off Western film critic to, to actually embrace the, the societal topics in Burning, because they are somewhat safe. It's, the, it's very much the case where you can have a film that says something about the societal class, but does not say enough to make you or yourself feel bad about yourself. Mm. One more point that I would like to bring into the whole ambigu- ambiguity. The most ambiguous of all <laughs> might be the well aspect of the film. Did she fall into the well as a kid or did she not fall into the well as a kid? There's arguments for, arguments against, no conclusion whatsoever. This might be the most bothering aspect of the film for me. Well, it contributes to the overall mess with your head. But yeah, the, there's so many scenes re- regarding that, but we reach nothing. Of course, yeah, that's kind of the thing of the film. Summa summarum, to recap, to pull it all together, you needed some more stronger pointers to some direction, whereas I did not. Well, the well really is not a problem for me. Well, yeah, but the overall film, I mean. I would have required more pointers into any direction in order to champion this movie as some type of a societal hot takedown. Most definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it have to be a societal takedown? Well, if if the film wants for me to endorse it as one, or if somebody asks me to side with the critics here, well then, yeah. And, and to a point, I do feel that the film would have been stronger if it would have had a stronger societal takedown, which, once again, would have required it to actually make up its mind on on whether or not is Ben a killer or is he not. Like, I, I do, honestly, I do see that there's a vir- virtue in the ambiguity of, of it all. But at the same time, like, it's a, it's, it's a virtue that also comes with the cost of the film having a bit more tamer statement at the end. I would think that everything is really intentional, though. I'm, I'm, I'm not. If I, I might yeah, be yeah, wrong. Yeah, of course it's intentional. I'm not saying that the director somehow accidentally landed into this situation. It's an artistic yeah. de- decision. It is. I might be wrong that, but there might have been during the film mentions how there is certain aimlessness going on and it kind of ties into the mystery of it all and that you're young and you don't know where direction what direction you're taking and that the life is not really a beginning middle and an end story that things again just happen and this is my movie and statement on that yeah and at the same time the, 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 in the film there are two possible possible notions a, Chan Sung is a vigilante revenger who revenges Hamie's death and protects the, the poor, protects his own societal class from rich parasites or rich monsters like Ben. Mm-hmm. And the ending is justified. <clears throat> or there is the possibility that Chan Sung is mentally ill person who kills an innocent, per, uh, innocent man. Precisely. Or there is the possibility that Chong Sung is a person who has genetically inherited the violent, violent behavior from his dad. Mm. And he's somewhat doomed to, to be the similar type of monster that it's being hinted that his dad has been. That, that is also a possibility. 
would there be a possibility that we go to the quick case? What do you think? Well, by all means, yeah. Special mention for an actor goes to, on my part, to uh, Yuain playing Jung Su. I also give it to Yuain. Um, another per- actor that I really did like was Steven Yun. Mm-hmm. But Yun perhaps has even more experience. He's, like, to him, this, this may have been an easier film to do, thanks to, you know, million episodes in Lost, etc. Yeah, that there's quite a lot of subtlety to the performance of UI in. Not sure how experienced he is um, in acting, but yeah, you could read quite a lot from his face. And that's easy, once again, because you're in the lead role, you have more time to do that. But great performances all around. Well, would you bring attention to some very small role in the film that you found somehow worth highlighting in this podcast for whatever reason? I can highlight the cow. Ooh, okay. Then I will highlight random uh, lady who wants to join Ben in, in the cafeteria. It was just marvelous acting. I don't know. I really don't have anything, to be honest. Yeah, one. not me, me, me neither. <laughs> what resonated with you the most or the least? Uh, with most, it would be the realistic take on the serial killer genre. If I go with the reading A about what happens in the film. For me, it's just, let's say, the ambiguity. And I love the, the, the coloring. I love the coloring and kind of the repeat framing. Some events repeat and we get the lovely, the, the same angles, get kind of comfortable with the environment. Uh, in one adjective, how would you describe this film? Well, to me, it would be ambiguity. Haunting. Or how would you say that then? Ambiguitying. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be an adjective, I guess, anymore. Whichever word. Favorite quote, if any. Yeah, I'm going to draw a blank. I'm going to draw a quote. To me, the world is still a mystery, end quote, from Chung Su. Do you think the films have, or this film, Burning, does it have any staying power or legacy? I don't know. Yes, I guess. Because it's been marked as one of the best movies of all time, come from South Korea. Yeah, I also do think that it does have a staying power. It's not necessarily the best movies of all time come to come from South Korea, etc., 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 but it's it's kind of like, I do think that it's going to be left somewhat in the shadow of the parasite, but at the same time, it's the shadow of the parasite that will also lend some staying power to the burning. Hmm, two-folded. You really like everything know, else in this film. At least quadruple-folded. You really know it's like an origami. You really know you're watching Burning when you're looking out of the window as if to escape your harrowing circumstances, checking off at your pipe dreams. You really know you're watching the Burning when you are watching the Burning, or you are not watching the Burning, or the Burning is watching you, or there is not even a Burning. <laughs> right on. Well, did you like the film? I did. I did like it. I wasn't blown away by it. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of kind of the major divider between me, between me and I guess the whole rest of the goddamn world because, like already mentioned, Burning is a film that when it came out, there was a huge ruckus around it. This is one of the the South Korean films that even got a like movie theater distribution in Finland. Mm. This is such of a major take. It's so great of a movie and. 
I, I saw it in, in the theaters originally, watched it for the second time, this now, and in neither times I never actually completely understood why it was so well received when it came out. Like, it's not a bad film, but I really didn't see that, like, that, that absolutely magnificent aspect of it that will make it like, one of the best movies come out of South Korea in, in the history of South Korean cinema. Uh, I well, did like it, but I didn't like it that much. Let's plant a little flag here. Um, you weren't so blown away by it. Um, if I want to say something negative about the film, the first, is it 47 minutes up to an hour? Uh, the film drags me in the first, kind of drags maybe in the first half. I mean, I get the point. It's trying to to build this feeling of unease and what the hell is going on where where is this gonna go now and then when uh, ben is starting to mention about the greenhouses that's when the film picks up around the hour mark did you get the similar feeling i did i did and that's something that actually is is good to point out to our listeners who have not yet watched the movie this is a uh, two hours and 20 minutes if i remember correctly 20 30 uh, something yeah yeah uh, with the end titles, which you can say that they were uh, perhaps something to you from five to ten minutes, the end titles in total. Hmm. And it takes the movie something like an hour, hour and ten minutes until the, the real inciting incident, the disappearance of Jaime happens. And from there on, from that point onwards, yeah, then the film is a possible serial killer murder mystery or, or our main character just going off his goddamn boat, or whatever you want it. But that's like the moment when the intrigue happens. And it's not a deal breaker, but it's something that is actually good to know before watching, watching Burning for the first time, because absolutely goddamn almost everyone who I have come across makes the point how this is like a super intense extremely like like hard feeling mystery film there is this great atmosphere of dread going on and it does not appear uh but until an hour mark in the film something to note that if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't yet watched the film congratulations you've just ruined the film uh, the best way to enjoy this film <laughs> like good to know at this point right is to know nothing about the burning. Or I felt that. I, I knew basically nothing about burning when I first watched uh, it some time ago. I, on the other hand, I do think that it's, it serves you well to know that the, the famous mystery aspect comes extremely late into the movie. It's mm -hmm. something like the last, I, I would say last 50 minutes of the movie is actually like like the, the mystery part that everybody is craving about and what you have heard about. Yeah, the and, last and 20... the previous hour is like a build up to the the whole whole thing. It, it's kind of like you know Shyamalan's sixth sixth sense. Everybody mm. when it came out, everybody was like like that ending, that ending though. And then you have to wait like uh, ninety minutes to get to the ending. What what was what, what everybody was uh, talking about? In here, you have to wait for an, uh, over an hour to get into the mystery part that everybody is talking about. And when you see it, I would say that it 
hits you the strongest on the on the first go. Repeated viewings are, uh, well, you might find some details, but the, the kind of magic of the film is gone at that point, in a way. In a, in a way, yeah. Did I like the film? Yeah. You know that already. I don't know what else to put into that bucket. Would you watch the film again? Um, most likely, yeah. Uh, we already mentioned Parasite. I'm most likely gonna watch Parasite like sooner than that burning. But I, I do. I, I, I'm not in any way writing off the possibility of of rewatching Burning for the third or maybe even fourth and fifth time. It's a movie that that like stands the test of repeated viewings. Even though you are absolutely correct that the the first impact or the first punch of the movie is somewhat lost on the repeated viewings and you kind of start to like like once you know that you're never going to get any answer into the mystery plot it does affect you your second viewing somewhat but it still is a movie that very well can be watched for uh, for repeated times agreed would you recommend bonding uh i do it's it's not not the most burning recommendation given out here. It's it's not like Parasite where I was like, yeah yeah go watch the film. This is more like yeah go watch the film. It's a it's a solid movie. It's very well made cinema, and there is a lot to like about the ambiguity of the film and this kind kind of the not knowing nature of the proceedings and. You you kind of being able to draw your own own takes on what happens in, in in the movie. There is a lot to like in it, but at the same time, like already mentioned, it in my opinion it does ha- hurt some of the like like the societal statement making aspects of the movie, and it does somewhat limit the whole. Oh my god, it's so suspenseful nature of the movie like god help you if you watch the film from the from the viewpoint b ben is not a serial killer and all of a sudden all the suspense just kind of goes out of the window immediately and you are just kind of kind of watching this this one buffoon lampooning through the movie and making complete ass out of himself just weighing like jung Sung, don't do that oh well now you did it absolutely that so do know that before going into the film for the per- uh, checking out the checking out burning but still yeah check out burning well yeah I, w- I wouldn't say that he makes a buffoon of himself necessarily let's also remember that he is in love or claims to be very strongly in love well at you... least he's masturbating all over the goddamn world seriously Jing Sung, what is wrong with you man Oh, help before you do the stab murder. Oh, you did it. Not confirmed. Not confirmed. We the stab do... murder is confirmed. The stab con- <laughs> stab. E- except, is, but... except, except. <laughs> of course, in the reading, it's the ending is in Chung Sung's head, and it's, it's not real, and it's just writer's fantasy. In that case, yeah, not confirmed. <laughs> the masturbating, yeah. Masturbating even... is confirmed. No, it's not confirmed. Yes, it's confirmed. It's, that, it's... that happens even before before the, the possible take that it's just, you know, writer's fantasy. It's Mast- one of those... Wall masturbation is reality in this film. 
well, something is happening in, in this film. It might be one of those tangerine moments, imaginary masturbation. No, no, I, I would say that the cat is more tangerine than the masturbation. <laughs> would I recommend the film? Yes. And of course, when you're making a recommendation for a film, you will know for a fact that not everybody will like the film that you're recommending. And I can perfectly see that some people are not in it because it takes quite a while to build up. Finally, when it gets there, it either grabs you and makes you in an awe-like state. Um, it's not perfect, but for me, it's pretty damn near perfect package. Um, so, yes, go go watch it. And nevertheless, whatever you think about burning, I think it's just one more testament that there is a hell of a lot of potential and, and really talented and capable directors in the South Korean film industry. And goes to show that kind of the average South Korean film, at least the ones that we get to see in the spotlight, are more in more capable hands than the majority of or the average Hollywood Hollywood viewing experience these days. That's just my intake. Well, yeah, yeah, true that. But at the same time, it bears to remember that it's it's not really like even fight between whatever we get to see from South Korea, because that's extremely limited and curated mm. offering versus what we get from Hollywood, where we get like 90% of the movies. Like, obviously, sure. you know, your here's a boatload of films has more crap in it than here's your curated take of few movies. And there was one random person who commented on drive my car as a Japanese person. He wasn't sure what to make of it, that now it's nominated and been winning a lot of accolades because, in his opinion, the film didn't really necessarily win those accolades or those nominations because of the, really the quality of the film, but because of the uh, exoticism of the film. And that is, all, of course, a fact and thing that you might want to keep in, in your head, especially if you're not so literate in um, Asian cinema or whichever region cinema, that that, that plays a role. More than, like, exotism, when it comes to winning accolades and, and winning prizes, I, I still do strongly believe that the major driving factor was that was the fact that the narrative centers around the whole theme of art being a healing exercise and being this force that brings people together and helps you get over and build over things and build bridges with others. Yeah, yeah. In other words, a film that you will find in Spielberg's movie collection. Yeah, most definitely. Along with every every other art is a masturbatory exercise movies. It's it's right there next to you know cinema paradiso, <laughs> and most likely also hand of God, which I do strongly believe that that Spielberg also does have like a 4K ultra HD Blu-ray of. Dear listener, would you recommend Bonning? Come and comment on our social media pages or send us an email. You'll find all the details on our web web page theflicklab.com. We also recently appeared on Mint Volcano YouTube channel with our actual <laughs> faces. Had some yeah. really fun with that. Yeah, so that's another great film film project, product that we have made to ruin. Another one of those uh, Asian classics or 
greatly appreciated films that <laughs> at least Henrik has tortured and butchered in these talks. <laughs> yeah, plus if, if you go check that, you can finally see our ugly marks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also on Twitter. You can find it if you can spell my name correctly. Henrik, where can we find you? <laughs> well, if if my correct workload stays the same in the next mental health facility, because <laughs> I, I start to have some troubles with the, with the stress at the moment. Oof. Yeah, yeah. the day is kind of hectic. Careful with that. Careful with that. You can also... Find us on patreon.com slash the flick lab kind of adding to our stress levels here, <laughs> providing you even more content now. But yeah, if you want more crazy content or if you want these episodes about one week in advance, then highly recommend it to waste your money there. Or if you just, you know, wanna wanna support the podcast and help us to make these episodes more also in the future because running costs are a thing. And neither one of us is made out of money. No, we are kind of the Chong Su's. Yup. <laughs> we are soon selling the final cow that we we have just in order to cover all the expenses of podcast making. Yeah, that's true. This is really, really not, not cheap. And uh, actually, we have just gotten the word into my eardrum that our editor has quit the podcast. His name is also Kari Oyala, just like mine. So, yeah. If you want some actual editing in these episodes, <laughs> proper editing, then please. Yeah, yeah. Pa- pa- Patreon is a thing if you want editing in the episodes. <laughs> it might also help your listening experience. Just a hint. <laughs> well, this experience has come to a close, if nothing else. Time to draw, draw the lab coats into the corner and just thank all the audience for joining us. See you in a fortnight. Until then. Yeah, Ben is a is a murderer. Vittu soi. Vittu soi kun ihan. And.